Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the New Life Church Rewind podcast. My name is Michael, and I'm here with Pastor David Sangster. It's good to be back. Yeah, so we were both on vacation, and because of that, we're going to try to do part three and part four of the Summer Baggage Sermon Series. Yeah. So we have two to get through today. We're going to try to move rapidly yeah. enough through them so that we can kind of it's gonna be fun re- rewind the things we want to rewind yeah but um you know you heard the sermon so we'll we'll just try to break down a little bit of this and a little bit of that excited about it so week three that was a sermon called the weight of fear yeah i like that i like that title <laughs> so what was the big idea of that message the big idea for that message is that fear grows when we feel our inabilities or our anxieties about the unknown. But God has promised to protect us and to walk with us through danger. So it's kind of long, but... So why do you think we live in such a fearful culture these days? Yeah, I think when we talked about the Chapman Survey uh, research group, says that fear in Americans is on the rise. Since ever since they, the last uh, one I saw was 2019. So this level of fear that we have in our culture, it's not normal. It's not only not normal, but it's it's getting progressively worse. Okay. Yeah. So they said that the in 2019 that the uh, political uh, politicians was one of the bad politicians was one of the bigger fears. Uh, pollution of of bodies of water, which is interesting. And then also uh, severe illness among family members it was like what's on the rise for people. And I think I think part of it, the reason that it's on the rise is it's a natural byproduct of our naturalistic and materialistic worldview. Well, that goes in with the fear of polluted waterways. Y- yeah. Now, I want clean waterways yeah, too, I hear but, you. but I certainly don't lie in bed at night staring right. at my popcorn ceiling wondering about you know the trash in the river yeah. and and not that trust me I, I i'm a i love nature and all right. that but it does speak to this kind of earth worship yeah. thing that we have going Protecting on taking mother earth all that stuff yeah and I, and i just think when 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 people believe that there's nothing bigger than them out there when there's no purpose in life outside of the flesh and blood that they uh, live with, then this life becomes very big. It starts to become more important. It starts to become more uh, intimidating because it's all you get. Yeah, if this is all there is, you better then everything it. in your life is a big deal. It, it really is. And, um, and this life is... It's scary. There's a lot of stuff in this life that um, if you don't have any hope outside of it, then it can become overwhelming. So do you think today as a culture that we are uh, more fearful Mm -hmm. because we've become more secular? Or do you think it's kind of the other way around that we became secular and then that drives the fear? Like which which one's the chicken and which one's the egg? Does fear drive secularism? Uh Uh-huh. Or does secularism drive fear? Again, it's always hard to know which one's the first, but I, I, I think that secularism 
this materialistic, uh, individualistic culture has caused us to be more fearful. Um, yeah. Because without any existential hope outside of what we see around us, which is very challenging in many ways, um, there, there is a level of fear that you really just can't get away from. Right. And so the, this sermon, uh, part three of the series, mm-hmm. we talked a lot about fear. Mm-hmm. But fear is kind of a hard thing uh, to define. Okay. But the opposite of fear, at least as far as I'm concerned, is faith. Okay. Fear and faith, mm-hmm. they're kind mm-hmm. of the opposite mm-hmm. thing. But in the Bible, we get this really... I mean, it's deep and it's heady, but it's it's actually a great definition of faith. Mm-hmm. Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. Mm-hmm. For by this our ancestors were approved. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. Mm-hmm. So do we get a definition like this of fear? Because mm-hmm. really all we kind of get is fear is the fear of God is the mm-hmm. beginning of, but what is fear itself? So I think fear is, uh, well, the Bible does never tell us, never tells us to, to not fear at all. It says don't be afraid. But that concept of don't be afraid is predicated on the other side of fear, which is the fear of God. Right, so when that Hebrews talks about is that the natural world was made by a supernatural God. So the, big, the, the we talked about it in the sermon. This concept of understanding who God is, having a holy and under, uh, holy and epic understanding of uh, of the fear of God, meaning He's this big star breathing, Earth creating, galaxy forming uh, molecule coalescing God. He melts mountains and yes. everything else. This yes. is this God. And then when you, and then that's just be the thing you are, um, are in awe of or fearful of. Why? Because he's just that big. When the, in the old Testament, we have these, uh, people who were presented with it, with even just the image of God, mm-hmm. not even able to see his real face, just this, you know, the throne and him sitting on the throne and all these things. They, they, they said things that would translate to, um, our language is being undone, mm-hmm. which means like molecularly, like like a little little a bombs, just like boom. You, you just com- you completely melt it. You just feel like you feel like you're undone. Anyway, that being said, when you turn the the story around and say, "Wait a minute, hold on," this huge God that is fearful for me is on my side. That God is the one who made the natural world. Yes. Therefore, if this God is on my side, I have nothing to fear from the natural world. So the 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 absence of fear begins with proper fear of the God who made everything. Right. And so fear is a weird thing because it's I'll compare it to a flame. Where a flame like you flame is real. Yep. And you can you can kind of touch it. It's mm-hmm. hot, but it doesn't have I guess if I remember from chemistry class, it doesn't have mass. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have weight of any kind. But it's, you know, so it's this amorphous thing. Mm-hmm. But you talked about in the sermon how Buzz Aldrin, mm-hmm. um, he was he was Apollo 11. He was up mm-hmm. in space. Yep. And you, uh, <laughs> you, you were quoting him or something, and, and he said, the only thing that felt like it had weight mm-hmm. in space 
was fear. Mm-hmm. So these, as much as fear is a hard thing to define, it manifests physically in our oh, lives, absolutely. right? absolutely. Yeah, you can feel the weight of, I mean, fear does have, I mean, that's the name of the title mm-hmm. of the message is weight of fear. The, the fear in our lives is like, an, in many ways, will feel like an ankle, an anchor around your ankle. It's it, it, it will literally keep you from achieving, from doing, from from being productive, from all these things that are good for you because you can't, um, you you don't have, and that's where the faith thing, you said the opposite of fear is faith. The faith in the existential reality of God or this concept of a, a, it's not even existential, it's a reality. But what I'm saying is like the concept that God is real. And I like what you said about fear being an anchor because when, when a boat is at anchor, it's not going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, now it is subject to the waves, to right. its environment. Right. And it can't even, def- when you're just, you're the anchor of fear, you, you can't defend yourself anymore. Right. You're just going to take the waves and you just picture a boat being like Knocked. battered yep. by the weather. And those are things outside of your control where right. if you would just pull up your anchor, mm-hmm. put up the sail of faith, if you will, now you have, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. volition over, over where you're right. headed. You think that it's because that boat has all this potential, right? Mm-hmm. And it's unmet potential when it's anchored. But when you release that anchor, now it can function in a way, whether it be wind power or engine power in a way that can actually counter the things that are coming against it. So just like that boat, you're mm-hmm. talking about how the boat mm-hmm. in this kind of analogy we're doing, it was designed. Mm-hmm. It was designed to capture right. potential energy and move in a direction. Right. Okay. But talking about the lunar lander. Oh yeah. So I find this very interesting. I saw a, uh, a documentary one time mm-hmm. about the lunar lander. And how when you go to the Smithsonian or wherever it is, you'll see it on these brass-looking legs. Mm -hmm. But the legs that you see it on in the museum aren't the same style and design of leg that were on it when it actually went Hmm. to the moon. The ones on the moon were more like, they were almost like tinfoil. So if you use that leg on Earth, the weight of gravity on Earth, because it's different than the moon, would Oh. crush the legs so the lower gravity of the moon supported right so those legs could only be used as they were designed for the place mm. that it was designed interesting and so what what made me think of this is we're talking about the weight of fear so the human body god designed us a certain way but are we kind of like those lunar legs that we weren't designed to carry this summer baggage this baggage we've been talking about this fear that if we keep doing it eventually those legs are going to buckle and maybe not our physical actual legs but that the design of our bodies can't handle this baggage yeah and to that i would send us back to the the first narrative right in genesis Um, adam and eve were created by god in the image of god and they literally had a a face-to-face personal relationship with God. They walked with God in the cool of the day. They had this, there was, they existed with God outside of the fear that you see in the prophets and in things like that. Right, because outside of the garden, when you have this conversation about seeing God or interacting mm-hmm. with God. Oh, it's 
fear- it's a fearful experience. Absolutely. These people are like, we're gonna, we're gonna die. Yeah. So, what happened there? Uh, only it's not until after the 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 fruit of the knowledge of good and evil is partaken of that the immediate feeling of shame and guilt and fear of God enters into the picture. We were not designed to live with this level of baggage. Um, and it is something that, that saps our potential, that causes us shame, that keeps us back and is fodder, I believe, for the enemy to, to steal our productivity and our Christian witness. Yeah, and the more baggage we carry, the slower we are. Absolutely. And the slower you are, that devouring lion mm-hmm. that is our oh, enemy. Oh, yeah, good word. Easier to catch. It just seems so obvious that we weren't um, designed yeah. to, to just walk through this life with anxiety and with this baggage and mm-hmm. jealousy and fear and all these things that we talked about. And uh, just think about how it's, it's statistically getting worse in the West. It's not improving with our knowledge, with our, our, our quote-unquote wisdom of the modern world. Right. So our modern wisdom, mm-hmm. our modern technology, our modern perspective does nothing to lighten the load. No. It actually, it actually um, puts us into a toxic soup of fear in a lot of ways. And we, we have to counter that in order to live free and, uh, and weightless if that's even possible. So speaking of lightening the weight, Mm -hmm. let's move over to the final sermon in the Summer Baggage series. Uh, So this is uh, part four. Mm -hmm. And what was the name of this message? Unencumbered. Unencumbered. And that's a kind of a weird word. I get that. But it really does sum up what we're trying to talk about in this particular sermon. So what's the big idea of unencumbered? Um, Jealousy. Talking about jealousy and and social... uh, uh, not social, but self-comparison, social comparison, that mm-hmm. concept. So jealousy and social comparison are entanglements. But Jesus offers freedom when we leave our heavy baggage of envy at his feet. And so this sermon was, for the most part, it was focused around the kind of baggage that's like jealousy mm-hmm. and comparison. Mm-hmm. Comparing ourselves with others, keeping up with the Joneses, yep. as you said. So... Right from there, you went into a few scriptures that compare people's walk with God, their faith, with like an athletic competition. Right, yeah. But, but mainly like running, mm-hmm. sprinting, jogging, whatever it is. I even wore some really cool running shoes. <laughs> right. It's funny you say that because I just, I've had my same pair of basketball shoes uh-huh. for like a decade. And I just recently bought a new pair. When I was on vacation, there was an outlet there. Nice. And I can't believe how much lighter. Oh yeah, absolutely. Just 10 years of, of like sports technology going <laughs> exactly. by. Like, and I know shoes don't weigh that much, but it was like, it was noticeably lighter. Yeah. So I, I understand how an athlete wants to, um, maximize their potential, maximize their potential. <laughs> okay. So I want to ask you a sneaky question. Okay. You told us that we have to run our own race Mm -hmm. and we shouldn't really be um, concerned about what's going on next to us. Mm -hmm. You know, we got to run our own race. But doesn't the Bible kind of put us in competition with each other? Mm -hmm. I just want to share a verse with you. Okay. Uh, This is from Romans chapter 12. 
love one another, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Outdo one another in showing honor. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a command for us to, I mean, it says it right there, to outdo. Yeah. So in some ways we're supposed to run our own race. Mm-hmm. That's, I'm not debating that point, but isn't there a level of almost competing with one another in mm-hmm. the body of Christ to be more loving than the next? I think that we as Christians should be known for and marked by love for other people. Like if you want to be good at something and you want to win and you really want to go for it, go for being the most loving person <laughs> that you can be. I and mean, that's a great goal to win at. Right. And in athletics, yeah. when we were kids, I don't know, um, when, when, when I was a kid, mm-hmm. you wanted to swing a bat like Ken Griffey Jr. Yeah. You wanted to run the football mm-hmm. like Emmett Smith. Right. You wanted to do the one-handed catch like Jerry Rice. Right. And so it's a tricky thing because we're not supposed to compare ourselves to other mm-hmm. people and their value. Right. But we should be looking at their quote-unquote skill or their faith as a Christian, right? Absolutely. I mean, and that's the thing. Like when you look at uh, how other people are running, when you say, let's say you're an athlete mm-hmm. and you uh, are constantly getting beat by a particular person, wisdom would say, hire that guy's coach, right? You, you, yeah. You want to learn, you know what I'm saying? So like my, my kid, oh, my kid is like freaking out right now about Lionel Messi coming to the uh, soccer league. Right. And, so he's a MLS. Big, big international yeah. soccer star. Oh, he's the best. Come stateside. Yeah. And he's just, he's overturning all of the U.S. soccer paradigm. He just, he's just amazing. Mm-hmm. And um, he's taking it by storm. So my kid is watching Lionel Messi. Now, Lionel Messi is one of the best soccer players who's ever been. Right. So he's looking at this guy and emulating the things that he does. Now, whether Lincoln ever becomes the greatest soccer player in the world is, you know, yet to be seen. Uh, you know, every, every parent thinks their kid's are the best, right? <laughs> but there are mathematical probabilities. Um, sorry, Lincoln, right. but, but it's okay. But the idea is that um, he's looking at someone who's far better than him to motivate him to play more soccer, to get better at his craft. And I think we've talked about this on at least a few of the the pods here. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Mentorship. That's what Paul said our encouragement is. So this is a natural, it speaks to mentorship, it speaks to athletics. It's this idea that um, if you have... If, if you have access to the perfect, right. why would you not pursue that? Right. So when we look at um, people who are winning in the Christian life, that motivates us to maybe find out from them what is, what is, the, what is the secret sauce to how they're winning. And also, you know, is a, is a, is a uh, upward movement for us that we can, we can do better. We can go farther. And I, man, I, if we could be marked, think about this, if we as a church could be marked as winning in love, like we're the best people in the, on the planet for loving other people, man, that's, that, that, that revolutionized the world. Yeah. And at a certain point, as much as we love the seeker friendly model of church, right. And I'm not against it. Mm-hmm. We are to evangelize, but the church is for the saints mm-hmm. at a certain point. So um, when 
you know, we, we've talked about this too before. You'll know each if you love each other, they'll know that you love me. I'm, by your works. By, they, will, by, they will know you by your love for one another. So when we, when the real, if we think of the real race that we're running as this, um, keeping our eyes on Christ, and if we ever do look to the left or the right, it's mm-hmm. only for the purpose of loving another congregant. Right. And and I think that's one of the, the biggest things when we talk about uh, winning as the church, because um, though we are not supposed to be... Uh, using worldly standards for how we're winning, right? Other people are looking around at other people as well. That's, that's natural. So when they see a group of people who are contented, who are fearless, who are uh, enjoying their life, even in the midst of the difficulties of life, they're looking at us and they're going, well, I, I, want, I want that. So evangelism is going out and, and seeking people, but if they come in or they're looking around and they see that we're no different than anybody in their circle, we're still as fearful, we're still as discontent, we're still as all these things that they struggle with, and, and, and we're not loving each other, what's the point? So th- when we do these things, we will not only attract people, but we will keep people. And love isn't just evangelism, because what no. you said is true. But when we think about it, you know, I say at the end of every podcast, I say Matthew 28. Yeah. And really, Jesus says, go and make disciples. Mm-hmm. So by by loving each other well and mm-hmm. outdoing each other in righteousness or whatever we call right. it, that actually is a form of discipleship. Absolutely. Because it's going to mold the person to the left of you, the person to the right of you into yeah. like someone who's capable of receiving and giving love. Our job is not done when the butt hits the seats. Right. Right? Our job is never done. Our job is to... Uh, outdo one another in acts of love and that is discipleship to, to show people Christ and that's what um, I believe it's Paul's encouragement to Timothy he says finish the race right and that and especially for the guys that mm-hmm. are listening I think that's one of the hardest things for a man is to just know that like life is a comp it's not a competition in the sense of like mm-hmm. win loss but that it's a constant mm-hmm evolution a constant grind and mm-hmm. that someday you'll yep. hear well done well done good and faithful servant yep. you finished your race so I, I really like um how this sermon was tied into the like athletic feats mm-hmm. because i've always really gravitated towards um how our faith is compared to you know it's it's a physical activity it's mm-hmm. not just a uh you know, it's, it's not, not just at all. Yeah, it's not just a feeling yeah. all the time. And sometimes in the church exactly. we get carried away with yep. the the touchy feelies. But yep. our faith is real. It's concrete. It's physical. It's interactive. And sometimes it's a gut check. It is a gut check sometimes. Yep. Good. Okay, so moving on to the next one, we talked about uh, Joseph and his colorful coat. Yeah. Ooh, that colorful coat made a lot of problems. And we, you know, we joked around in the last podcast about how it's almost like uh, he got this coat by his father Mm -hmm. to tell his other brothers how disappointed he is in them. Like, like, you're not my favorite son. (laughs) But this coat created family drama, Mm -hmm. and it it revolved around jealousy. And this jealousy boiled over to the point where they threw this kid in a hole Mm -hmm. and sold him into slavery as the positive alternative to not killing killing. him. Yeah. Positive alternative. Yeah. So that's terrible. Obviously, little uh, family. And, and I'm not trying to make, make light of it, but like so this is bad. And then what makes it worse is I want to ask you, 
is jealousy or any of the summer baggage that we've talked about, mm. is it intergenerational? Mm. And the reason I ask is because in that story, the Ishmaelites come along and that's the group of people that Joseph's brothers right. sell them into slavery. But the only reason there is a group of people called the Ishmaelites mm-hmm. is because a generation ago, right. there was another family drama, dra- drama <laughs> to say the least, resulting from jealousy. Abraham had two, had a wife and a concubine. Right. Jealousy ensued and then Ishmael was cast out. Mm-hmm. He became a father of many kingdoms or whatever yep. the scripture says. And then they come back and enslave some of God's children. So this is their, a, this their is cousin. A, this, yeah, their cousin. This yeah. is this is terrible. Yeah. But is that are we supposed to read it that way? That um, this baggage we've been talking about mm-hmm. is it hereditary? Is it generational? Like, so do we have to address it right now, or else it's gonna spread to our cousins and our offspring and our yeah uh, bad choices breed bad choices. And I think that when we are thinking about comparison and uh, social comparison, uh, these types of things need to be nipped in the bud very quickly or they can become systemic. And we, we see this with choice. I used to tell my youth group kids who are, you know, they're, you know, they're teenagers, like, be careful, guys, uh, with decisions you make now. Because in this small five-year period of time between, you know, 15 and 20, you could make decisions that impact you and impact your kids and your grandkids. So, and we see this a lot of financial situations. 100%. We see it financial when people like, people make bad money decisions because they weren't taught how to make good money decisions. And what they do is they get themselves into bad money habits and patterns. And remember, there used to be an expression they would say new money. Yes. Versus old money. Right. There was this understanding Mm-hmm. That money was generational. Yeah, and, and if and, you knew how to deal with it, and then these these patterns, because one generation was not really taught well, unless there's an intervention on on behalf of the next generation of of financial users, money users, they're going to make similar, just out of ignorance, going to make similar decisions with their money. So when you can deal with those things well, get good information, um, and Nip those bad choices in the bud, whether it be jealousy, fear, anger, self, poor self-talk, these types of things, then you are going to cut off that generational, we call it generational curse, but it's really just a pattern. So, so I want to ask you another question here. Mm-hmm. So Joseph gets this coat. Yep. So the one father looks upon one of his particular sons and says, mm-hmm. I want you to have this very special gift, mm-hmm. this beautiful coat. But God doesn't work like that for his children, right? Meaning we see all these different gifts of the spirit that are given to the church. Mm-hmm. Are some of them like that awesome technicolor coat? Mm-hmm. Like is prophecy or speaking in tongues or preaching or anything like this, mm-hmm. do those create the same kind of jealousy or... Probably not, right? Mm, you would hope not. Scripture doesn't want us to. It, it talks about this when it, in the analogy of the body. When it talks about the church being a body, Christ being the head. And it talks about how some, some members are made for um, 
more visible and outstanding action like the hand and the eye and all these things but it says those parts of the body that are uh, less visible are always ones that are almost more important and should be treated with more honor and care modesty so to speak right we should be caring for those things even more than the ones that are visible and everyday and seen and so I think there's a problem in in churches because we use some of the world standards for um, value. Right. So it's almost like when we see some of the more visible gifts of God mm-hmm. or the more quote-unquote flamboyant, flamboyant or charismatic, or charismatic yeah. it's not like Joseph's fancy coat. Right. It's not a symbol of favoritism. Right. They're equal gifts. God doesn't see them as favoritism, although I think because we use faulty standards, worldly standards, sometimes within the church, we see them. So when we do that, mm-hmm. when we put an emphasis on the, the more charismatic or more um, visible visible gifts, yeah. we're actually acting like Joseph's brothers. Absolutely. Yep. That we put this extra value on something that— right. It's very interesting. And some people will say, I'm not as important as so-and-so because they are a worship leader or they're, they can play an instrument or, you know, they have this gift. I, I'm i kind of an introvert. I'm behind the scenes. Um, all I can do is hospitality. Ooh, that's, 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 hospitality is one of the most important gifts given to the church. And that's going back to what we just talked about a few moments ago. Loving that- people. Right. That that's finishing the race. That's outdoing each other right. in goodness. So we get these faulty measures of uh, standards of measurement from from the world, and we bring them into a church, and it's not what God intends. So we're going to get into Second Corinthians ten five, mm-hmm. and we're, we're going to bring you you use this scripture uh, in the sermon, and what's what we're going to talk about is we're talking about all this baggage, mm-hmm. we're talking about jealousy and comparison and. Yep poor self-image we're not designed to carry it mm-hmm. but we would be lying to you if we said it don't expect it don't expect to not deal with it you're right. going to right so the bible gives us this verse and i'm just going to read it and then we're going to ask you about how to use this verse to practically help us okay. shed this baggage it says in every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of god and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Mm. So could you just give us, you know, maybe a macro and a micro on how do we how do we be obedient to 2 Corinthians 10:5? How do we how do we do it? Okay. Well, I think I think that is the the way I would first approach it is is start on the on, on the macro, the the big things. And in counseling, this is this is called patterns of of self talk. Okay, um, and all of in our mind is constantly running this inner monologue that tells you your value, your um, your standing, all these things that are value statements about you, and these things are affected by your past experiences with people, situations, trauma, all mm-hmm. these types of things. And these are the big things. And I think that's a good place to start because um, what we need to do is take those that, that, that inner self-talk, that inner monologue that's going on, and, and start to redefine the ch- what, what, is, what is false 
what is true and what is distorted. Okay. So I'll, I'll just give you an example from my own life, my own story. Growing up, I had a, a learning disability. And um, I don't think anybody specifically told me this. Maybe maybe in, I repressed it. I don't know. But I, I felt dumb. I think just patterns of seeing how other children were treated who were who didn't have the same uh, disability that I did, you know, uh, things that they got, rewards that they got that I never got, just just different things. I right. developed in my inner monologue this concept that I was not uh, smart smart enough. Smart enough, okay. So uh, in my adult life, young adult life, I had to really go at that narrative from a biblical standpoint. Uh, saying, you know, seeing myself through what the scriptures say. So take that thought captive and hold that thought up to the reality of scripture, such as, um, you know, I can do, it's cliche, sometimes these verses can become a cliche, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What does that mean? It means whatever God calls me to do, I'm able to do, through his power, not my own. God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Meaning, not all things are good, but he can take the baggage of our past, the the inadequacies of our physical and mental abilities, and he can somehow craft that into something that is going to be beneficial not only for me, but for other people. And and, and really using the, the filter of God's word to retrain my my mind, my inner self-talk into something that is obedient to what Christ says. Right, and so what you're kind of doing is you're switching the standard or the comparison point from your peers or the people around you yeah. to what Christ says you are. Right. Because in that way, mm-hmm. those like like you said in your, uh, in your experience growing up, these like almost subliminal yeah. or even directly these mm-hmm. this negative self-talk and I grew up in a very healthy environment these are things that were not like explicitly told me I know and I've dealt with people who struggle with these things because somebody said you're an idiot somebody told them that they're yeah. not good enough and that's tragic and you really have to take those thoughts captive and the only standard that is useful for us is the standard by which God ordains us to be this mm-hmm. is who I made you to be yep and you don't have to worry about the left or the right. Right. Exactly. Okay. So now take us down to a more micro level. Okay. How do we take every thought captive to Christ, like in a very practical way? Like tomorrow, mm-hmm. I'm I'm driving to work, and I start with a negative. Michael, you know, you're not providing for your family. Mm-hmm. You're not. You know, you're not. Uh, you're not making enough money or you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're not, you're not spending enough time with your daughter. You're not yeah. loving enough to you. And you started it. Mm-hmm. What do I do? So the, the answer is this, take that thought and filter it. Sometimes our self-talk is, is uh, self-correcting. You know, sometimes, you know, there has been times, and I'm not saying this about you. You just, you mentioned your, your time with your daughter. There's been times in my ministry where I was spending too much time at church. Mm-hmm. And I remember one of the one of the uh, moments in my life that really woke me up was my daughter asked me, "Daddy, when are you going to come to my house?" And that was 
That must have been a gut punch. It was a gut punch because she lived at my my home and I lived at the church and I visited her. <laughs> that's bad. I mean, that's really bad. So not all thoughts that we have in our inner monologue are wrong. But once you take that thought and you say, is this, you know, it, it's, it's actually very intentional. And sometimes it can feel daunting. Mm-hmm. But to take those thoughts that are dragging you down and putting them up against uh, the, the truth, of th- I would take care of it the same way that Christ did when he was tempted. He went to scripture every single time. So he's out in the wilderness. Yep. 40 days with the devil. Yep. What did he do? So, you know, the the devil would come and he would actually tempt him according to his appetites. And that's interesting for us to think about. Or at least what the the devil perceived the appetites of the Messiah to be. So he tempted him with uh, messiahship without suffering. Mm-hmm. throw yourself off the temple, right? Right. Without having to go, that, that self-preservation thing. He tempted him with um, the rule of the world without suffering, without having to go through the, the, the what he knew was going to happen. And he tempted him with just straight up hunger. He was out there for 40 days. So the appetites that um, we are never tempted in any way that we don't have an appetite towards. So when Jesus got those temptations... He did what uh, what we all should do, and he just used the word of God to counter that, and he flicked the devil off his shoulder by using God's word and the truth of God. And that's why I think our culture is struggling so much now with fear, with self-comparison, with depression and anxiety is because we don't believe in objective truths. It's got to come from somewhere outside of our culture or our world. Or, or it's just another thought. It might be as valid as anybody else's thought. Right, and if the objective truth is that you are a child of God, mm-hmm. created in His image, created in His image, the stamp of God on you, the Holy Spirit, if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit uh, living inside of you, mm-hmm. if that's not objectively true, mm-hmm. then isn't the subjective standards of the people around you, isn't that now it's the as, truth? It's as valid as any other idea. Because why not? Right. Right, if we don't have a... Uh, you know, a foundation of, of, of faith and belief that mm-hmm. this, the word of God is objectively true, right. then probably all those nice things that the Bible says about you yeah. are probably just as. Right. So we should be, as believers, we should be the most um, contented, the most uh, self assured or God assured and the most at peace people in the world because we have an objective truth by which we live. And uh, unfortunately, that's not being seen in statistics. So we, we, need, to, we need to drop the baggage. Haha, <laughs> baggage, you know. Mm-hmm. Some, we need to drop the baggage and really believe the objective truth of Scripture about who we are and why we're here. And that ties right back into what we talked about at the top of this, that if you're having trouble... Mm-hmm living that, mm-hmm. that uh, it is objectively true that God is for you, mm-hmm. he created you, all that other stuff. So one of the people that's running the race with you next to you, we mm-hmm. talked about outdoing it, that's where the church comes in. That right. there, there should be someone you know or you're connected with in the church that's going to speak that into you. I say, hey, mm-hmm. I know you're listening to the other guy, but yeah. you know that that's what small group is for. That's what yeah. you know uh, your devotional time in the morning is for to to always be refreshed with the truth of God because, you know, the world's going to come at you hard. Yeah, and if you don't know the truth, it can't set you free. So this is the end of 
a sermon series, mm-hmm. and I'd like to ask you this question. We did four weeks mm-hmm. in Summer Baggage, but if you had a fifth week, mm-hmm. if there was something that you kind of felt like you left, you know, in the study, mm-hmm. you know, on your desk or whatever, what would it be? What is there anything that, um, now that it's said and done, that you'd like to, you know, encourage us with or leave us with? Any final thoughts? Anything like that? I think the thing that I would say culminates, it kind of brings this whole series to a conclusion, is this discussion around mental health. Okay. I think a lot of the things, I think the Bible, uh, Christianity in the Bible is often criticized as uh, not being adequate to help people in their mental health. I think that's wrong. I think um, what we're seeing here is this concept that God wants us to deal with the emotions, the the inner thoughts, the self-talk. And I've dealt with um, a little bit of counseling over the years, and I've, I've gone through counseling. And honestly, what really happens when you sit in counseling is this concept of trying to go back, find out where the truth is distorted in your life that has caused these bad mental patterns that are driving you towards... Uh, depression, anxiety, um, these, these things that I would call baggage, right? Mm-hmm. Baggage that we never meant to carry that aren't true, that we're carrying around our life that are keeping us, slowing us down, that are keeping us from our, our full potential. And, um, and you work through those things. And, and what, what is that? That's literally taking those thoughts captive. And the problem I think with, with, uh, our, our concept of mental health and counseling from a clinical standpoint is what we were just talking about. What makes one idea more valid than another? And I think where we as Christians have a leg up on clinical psychology is the objectiveness of scripture. It's a baseline for who we are, where we came from, what we're here for. And it it, it shows us that um, that we're more than just the flesh and blood and bone that we live in. We're more, we, we have a, uh, a transcendent reality. Right, because it's important to know that all those things that the Bible says are true about us, mm-hmm. those truths precede the foundation of even the earth. Right. They are, they're truer than true. Like, they right. couldn't be more true. Right. So if, if clinical psychology... Um, doesn't deal in absolutes, then really has, it's very subjective, right? So we're just coming up with ideas and thoughts about who people are and how valuable they are, but there's no objectivity to it. Therefore, there's, there's no real, I don't know, foundation to stand on. It's very shifting sand type stuff. And uh, I I think um, in that way, it's almost like the boat we talked about earlier, mm -hmm. but without a sail or an anchor. Right. It's just, it's just floundering. It is at the will of whatever new idea, thought, pattern, philosophy of the world. Um, so I think we have to take back as Christians this, again, we take that thought captive that the Bible doesn't deal with mental health. I think it absolutely does. I think, uh, now, that's not to say that counseling is a bad thing. I, I think we should, if, we, if we're having these, um, these bad um, 
self-talk periods. Yeah. It's good to go to somebody who has the ability to draw out good questions and make you make you really struggle with these things. But I think the best place to do it is in a in, in a place where they're going to take objective truth of God word God's word and apply it to your specific um, background, um, your specific environment, and and sometimes specific trauma, and. And then that's an objective place to move into freedom, move into uh, healing, to move into the life that God intended you to live without all this baggage that's holding you back. So uh, this this idea of biblical mental health um, is is something that I would is interesting to me and, and and could really have been brought into and which we will probably touch a little bit more on in the next series that we're doing. Right. So I think this is a good place to stop with. Um, the summer baggage yep. series. Um, you know, we've identified this baggage and, and what it is. So, Pastor Dave, just give us a quick preview of what's coming up next. Because, like you, like you teased just a moment ago, I think the next three weeks mm-hmm. is gonna is gonna coincide perfectly mm-hmm. with the baggage. We have the baggage. We know we need to identify it. it. Yeah, and and probably the most powerful tool we can use to to keep that baggage out of our lives and off our backs is mm-hmm. prayer. So why don't you just give us a quick preview mm-hmm. of what we're going to be doing next for the next three weeks or so. So this next series is a three-week series, and it's going to go back to our our year-long emphasis, which is foundations of the faith. We've been dealing with foundations of the faith all the, all the way through the year. We started out with just looking at the Ten Commandments, foundational mm-hmm. uh, understanding of the Ten Commandments. Um, we talked about at one point how, how, do, how to read the Bible, you know, um, and then now this next uh, three weeks, we're going to talk about how to pray. It's just a simple title, how to pray conversations with God. And it's going to dissect what it looks like to be in a relational, a biblical um, conversation with the God who loves you, is bigger than your problems, who's got your back. And, uh, and uh, that's, that's kind of where the rubber meets the road when we identify the baggage. How, how do we actually shift it to freedom, right? Right. Yeah, so I'm excited about this series coming up. Uh, prayer is, it's one of those things where it's like, it's a wonderful thing, but it's still, there's a mystery to it. Like, yeah. It's like... And that's okay. We'll, we'll talk about that. So so we're excited. It's great. All right, everybody. So that is it for this week. I hope you, uh, you enjoyed your time with uh, myself and Pastor Dave. If you could do us a favor, if you could like, follow, or subscribe on whatever platform it is that you listen to this podcast you can give us a five-star review that would be great because the reason we want you to do that is just so that we know you're out there yeah because if you're still out there and you're still listening it's worth it we're gonna keep making these or we're gonna try at least at the end of the first season so uh i hope you enjoyed this and we will see you next time and blessings everybody matthew 28